0: But first, the scam that is costing consumers billions of dollars. There are laws and policies that protect you, the average American, from all kinds of different scams, whether it's debit card fraud or credit card theft. But there is one glaring loophole that leaves consumers vulnerable. And scammers, well, they've figured it out. It's wire transfer fraud, and it has exploded in the last few years. In fact, victims report having lost billions of dollars collectively through this loophole. And for more on what the scam is and what consumers need to know, we are joined by Stephanie Zimmerman, consumer investigations reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Now, Stephanie reported on the issue with Sun-Times reporter Mary Norkel. Welcome back to Reset, Stephanie. Hey, thanks for having me back. Good to see you. But uh, yeah, this is some bad, bad news. First, describe how the scam works for us
1: yeah and this is such a common scam it it starts with either a phone call an email or a text and it's something we've all been kind of used to getting notifications for different things on our accounts right so it seems totally normal and um and they they basically end up tricking you into wiring money people have no idea they're doing this
0: how common is wire transfer fraud though
1: it's really common you know it's been around for a while but it really took off during the pandemic And the FBI last year had a report to Congress. They said that reports to them, the FBI, about these kinds of wire transfer frauds, that totaled $2.4 billion. And that was 2021, and I'm sure it was an undercount because a lot of people don't report it. They're embarrassed. They just deal with it with, you know, trying to deal with with their bank and not reporting it. So I'm sure it's an undercount.
0: So, who's being targeted here? Are there certain people that you found that are are more likely to be targeted than others?
1: Well, you know, they say that the elderly are often targeted, but I think that really undersells the the breadth of this. We've talked to all kinds of folks who've been impacted. Yeah, we in our story, we had a small business owner, we had a daycare teacher, a young woman, a single mom. We had a retired city worker. I've talked to other people uh, who were not in the story, but told me about what was going on. Or um, I've spoke with their attorneys, and some of these are quite savvy
0: and even wealthy people. Yeah, these these stories are just I mean gut wrenching. And I was looking at a section of the story here where you talked to a consumer rights attorney, and it, it struck me where he says, you know, you think your money is safe in a bank? It's not.
1: Yeah, and you know what's funny, the subtitle for this project was Is Your Money Safer Under Your Mattress. <laughs> That's what I was talking with my editor because I really feel like it. You know, these wire these wire transfers are done so quickly. They send it to another bank, the scam artist grabs it and then sends it bank to bank to bank to bank and sometimes overseas. And it is so fast yeah. and the people don't understand that it's happening. So
0: you said it starts with a phone call, it could be a text, it could be an email. What exactly are the scammers saying to the victims? What, what have you learned from speaking with all these people?
1: Yeah, okay, so there's different variations, but they all end up in the same place. Some of them get... Of call or a text that say essentially did you make this transaction yes or no mm-hmm. and and that seems okay because a lot of us have notifications enabled. I get for those our all the accounts. time.
0: Exactly, just got it last week when I was on the east coast. It was like hey, is that you? And I said yes. Right, we carried on with my day. Didn't I didn't think a, twice about it.
1: I have a credit card that if we start charging things above a certain amount, they. They require us to okay that. right? So people are kind of used to that. Another one that we heard was from the retired city, city worker. He got an email that looked like it was from his bank, and it said that he had just gotten approved for a platinum credit card with a $499 annual fee. And he was like, $499? Forget this. And so he responded. So so what it starts with is some kind of alert that seems very believable, and then you respond. So whether you click no for the text or you say no on the call or you click no, I didn't want that Mm -hmm. for the credit card different things happen with the with the email i think what happened to that guy was that some malware got put down on his computer because he was actually watching in real time he logged into his chase account and he's on the phone with who he thinks is now a chase um Chase Bank fraud department person. Right. Obviously a scam artist now in retrospect, but he's looking at his computer and he's seeing his cursor moving around. So obviously wow. somebody got in there. Yeah. The other ones, like the phone call and the text, it's, it's similar. Somebody ends up calling you and they say they're from your bank, Citibank, Chase, whatever and that they're here to help you, sometimes they are going to say, okay, the bank is about to send you a code. As soon as you get that code, tell me what it says. And people are so far down that path of believing that they're talking to somebody who's helping them, they essentially give away the keys
0: to their account. Goodness. As we mentioned at the top, Stephanie, these scammers, they're they're taking advantage of a loophole in a, a federal consumer protections law. Why does the loophole in the law exist? That is a really good question. All the consumer advocates are
1: asking that. This law is called the Electronic Funds Transfer Act, otherwise known as the EFTA. Okay. And it was passed in 1978 which was when cash machines were like this newfangled thing, right? It was like new to Ah. get your money out of a machine. Before that, you pretty much had to go to a bank teller and get your money that way face-to-face. So there was this new thing, and they had to protect people. So that law actually protects people who use debit cards, ATM, ATMs, direct deposit for Mm -hmm. your paycheck. Um, It protects certain kinds of of point-of-sale or phone transactions, but it does not protect wire transfers so all of that stuff like for example if your debit card is lost and you report it to your bank quickly within two days your maximum liability is fifty dollars even if you report it within 59 days up you know all the way up to 60 days um your maximum liability is like $500. Oh. But with wire transfers, it's like the rules are gone and they can take all your money.
0: My goodness. So so this type of scam, I want to get some other terminology right here. This type of scam is carried out through a confidence trick, right? What's a confidence scam? And how's that different from, say, your account being hacked?
1: Yeah. So this is a distinction that the banks make, the okay. banking industry. They say that if a hacker hacked into their system, it would be fraud. But they say that this is a confidence artist basically tricking you into giving away details about your account, and they call that a scam. Now, the consumer protection advocates say this is splitting hairs because you were fraudulently induced to giving up information about your account. So that is fraud. That's Mm -hmm. what they say. So... So the banks, you know, the banks say that they are trying to protect you like for example by sending you a verification code and that it's your fault that you gave that code away to the it's bad the wrong guy. Mm. But the but the consumer protection people say on the other hand, well wait a second, it is fraud. You wouldn't you wouldn't knowingly give that away to a bad guy. Why would you? That right. doesn't make any sense.
0: Tell us more about how victims are being impacted. I, I know you've heard lots of stories in the last few weeks. Oh gosh,
1: on yeah, the stories are just heartbreaking, and that's one place where there's no disagreement. The banking industry will also say this is heartbreaking. You know, we had uh, the salon owner. Um, he was our he was our lead of the story. He, this all happened on the eve of having to make payroll. So this is not only impacting him, mm-hmm. $20,000 out the door. He's got to pay his employees. Um, all, the, the daycare teacher, she's a single mom. She lost almost $34,000. And that is just a cat- catastrophic loss. Mm. How are you going to recoup that amount of money? She's a young woman. I'm sure it was, you know, pretty much her savings.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just joining us, our guest is Stephanie Zimmerman, a consumer investigations reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. And we are talking about wire transfer fraud and this loophole in consumer protection law that has made this type of fraud a boon for scanners, uh, scammers. rather. Uh, so if someone gets my debit card information, they go shopping, I immediately tell the bank, hey, that was not me. Typically, we know they'll, you know, refund the money, they'll cancel the card. But it sounds from what I'm hearing from you, like banks aren't held liable here when it comes to wire transfer fraud cases.
1: Yeah. And and the reason why if somebody gets your debit card info and they go shopping and you're not you're not going to be on the hook if you report that is you have protection under that law that we talked about, the yeah. EFTA. So so you're like there's all kinds of stuff put in place like if you report it the bank has to investigate it promptly oftentimes they have to give you a provisional credit Mm -hmm. you 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 can't be on the hook for more than a certain amount of money depending how quickly you report it If the bank violates the EFTA, you can sue and you can get three times your damages plus attorney fees. There's all kinds of protections, but not for wire transfer fraud. And so, you know, the the critique of the banks is that, well, you know, they don't have to do anything. So they don't feel that pressure because there is no law.
0: Have you spoken with any of the banks?
1: I have. I have. And, you know, they say that they do have... Um, things that they do behind the scenes they say that there's a lot that we don't know that they you know they're identi- they're constantly trying to identify the frauds and and the scams and that these things are morphing and that is true um and they say that they do have certain systems in place like for example the um the the code that they might send you like to authenticate a tra- uh, a transaction that you're making mm-hmm. if you give that code away to the bad guy well then all bets are off for you I think the the critique of the banks by the consumer protection people is banks have a lot of algorithms for all kinds of stuff. Like there's a thing called know your customer to prevent mm-hmm. money laundering. So they have all sorts of ways of red flagging things. Why wouldn't they see that a daycare teacher from Chicago Lawn who never transfers money by wire and only uses her account to pay the bills, why would she suddenly be sending multiple wire transactions. Why wouldn't
0: that send off alarm bells? Exactly. if the bank can't step in, what about the federal government to help us?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there are folks that feel like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau should redo this. It might take really an act of Congress to change the EFTA. There's a lot of arguments for and against that. The consumer protection people say the EFTA should be changed to keep this under them, under the purview of the federal authorities and have a law in place. The banks say, and this is not necessarily a bad point, that if you put wire transfers under the governance of the EFTA, the bad guys could just get an accomplice to do a, a wire transfer and then – and you know, for in exchange for some portion of the money, Hmm. they get away with it and the bank is on the hook. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of arguments there. It does seem like something needs to be done systemically though, to address this because it's a really
0: big problem. Goodness. So if, if the law doesn't quite protect you, if this happens to you though, who should you report this type of crime to?
1: Yeah. And you know, and you're right. Consumers are really stuck because, uh, because they can't sue under the EFTA. Um, they should report it right away to the FBI. That's um, ic3.gov, a real a simple address to remember, ic3.gov. It stands for Internet Crime Complaint Center. They should also report it to their local police. They should report it to the CFPB, the main federal uh, consumer protection organization for, uh, mm-hmm. for financial crimes, consumerfinance.gov, and also the FTC. That's the Federal Trade Commission, but but really, um, folks have to be on guard and really be suspicious of everything. Yeah, because once this happens, it's such a quick crime, and the money goes out the door so fast.
0: Well, to that point, you said be suspicious of everything. Let's walk through some other steps, right? It's it's uh, that suspicion involves like not clicking on random links, right? Right. I mean. Th- you, Those verification codes you talked about, yeah, not sharing and, them.
1: And for example, um, the the person we wrote about this retired city worker who got an email. So that really looked like it was from Chase Bank, and it's a phishing. You know, now in retrospect, we know it's a phishing email, right? Yeah. So, but you could hover your mouse over that. The sender and, and there would probably be something odd about it. Like it wouldn't exactly be Chase Bank. It would be, it might even look like it had the worst ch- words Chase and Bank, but it would be somewhat different. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big thing is just don't click on anything because I think when he clicked on that, you know, customer service or whatever it was, um, I think that that put something on his computer because he really described seeing his cursor moving around Which without is him touching it. wild. That is terrifying, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. And there are, you know, I know there are people like here at the Sun-Times, if the IT department wants to get into my laptop, I can give them permission and I can see the cursor moving on my right. laptop and it's very weird, but that was happening to him. Um, so that's a big thing. But just, you know, at a very basic level, don't ever share any codes. Even if the person says they're from your bank, your bank is never, ever, ever, ever going to call you and ask you to share a code with them. Because they are the bank. They would have the code, right? Exactly. And then they're also never going to be asking you to do weird things like, you know, move money from this account to another account or whatnot. So don't share that stuff. Don't believe it if they call you. Don't ever share your pins. Don't ever share your account number. It's stuff that we... It seems so silly yeah. in retrospect to even talk about it. But what was shocking for me as a reporter is to talk to these people, and they were not dumb. And, and they were actually savvy, intelligent people, and, they've, and they got hooked into Just this. got to
0: be extra alert these days. Stephanie Zimmerman is a consumer investigations reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Always nice talking with you.
1: You too. Thanks.